Welcome to Fairwell, Mr. Nice Guy. I'm your host, MNG, and today we have a very special guest that has come onto the show, and we're going to talk about some of the things that are concerning, but we don't really think about. So I have Attorney Jafari with me here, and she is a divorce attorney, a divorce and family attorney, and she has 20 years of experience in family and family law, and that is a wealth of knowledge and wisdom that we're bringing to the table for the audience. So I want to be able to allow her to give her give her the correct introduction. Um, Attorney Jafari, with your background, you know, 20 years in law, psychology, and um, and, and just just a wealth of accolades that you have. Uh, just kind of give the audience kind of a brief overview. I don't want to do you any kind of disjustice uh, or misservice <laughs> with your background. Okay. Well, thank you for having me um, on your podcast. Um, so, yes, um, I've been a divorce attorney for over 20 years. I almost can't believe I'm saying that. Um, I have a psychology background, and um, that proves to be very important when you're dealing with families and high conflict and especially, um, you know, divorce, which is really one of the worst um, situations and event, life events that someone can go through. And I've also worked for the district attorney's office in Los Angeles, particularly with um, child abuse and molestation of minors. Um, I've taught at NYU um, in their real estate program for a number of years. So yes, I'm, I'm very happy to you know share my wealth of knowledge with your audience today. And we definitely appreciate having you on the show. And I would like to thank you for coming on to the show and having this conversation with us. So one of the things I want to say is, and if anybody watches my my show, know that I have statistics. I like to come to the table with statistics. There's nothing more perfect than a person coming with facts to have a conversation. And when, you, when you're coming to... A debate you want to have your facts together so i have some facts here and i kind of want to discuss them with you so here's some stats that i research about divorce so the most common reason for divorce according to forbes is that there's a lack of commitment which is the cause of 75 percent infidelity which is 60 percent and then domestic violence come in at 24 percent so in your experience when we're thinking about those numbers how many marriages resulted in divorce in regards to these particular stats? Well, I think you really um, have the basis covered because I also looked into this um, in anticipation of our of our talk today. And really, I mean, lack of commitment is sort of a catch-all, right, for a right. lot of things. And so when you, if you could remember your marriage vows, which is for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, um, for richer or for poor, right? And right. so the lack of commitment is the lack of following through with these vows. And um, obviously, there's other reasons too that people get divorced, which is, you know, cheating, which is also could be um, under that lack of commitment, right? Lack of right. commitment to your particular spouse. Um, domestic violence, as you mentioned, and then really just sort of growing apart. Um, we see a huge uptick in, at our firm um, with gr what they call gray divorces, which is people getting divorced 50 at age 50 and up. So that's just, you know, people just grow apart, right? And so I guess you could put that lack of commitment too under lack of commitment, but um, you know, this, this is sort of what we're seeing at the firm with, the gray divorces, um, and then obviously domestic abuse should be its own category at 24%. Now, when we're thinking about, you know, these marriages and these stats, and you just refer to like the gray area of marriages, you know, people that are divorcing after 50, and I know in other generations, people were married for years. So now are we getting to, and you know, this is, um, and, my, and this mindset, and this is kind of like a follow-up question. Are we, do you believe or think that we're getting into more like a superficial stage when it comes to marriage? You know, we're not getting too in-depth 
you know, we're looking at just surface issues. So you've been married for 20 years and you realize, well, maybe we've grown apart. Maybe uh, the finances are not there. Maybe there's a few other things that are occurring that I can no longer deal with. But you've been in this situation for 20 years and no longer want to give the energy for it to continue. So would that be looking at the situation superficially? I know that's kind of opinionated, but right. just from some of the conversations that you heard, especially people that's been married 20, 25 years that's separating, it sounds like it's kind of superficial. <laughs> like you you put all this energy in and now you're walking away. Um, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think as divorce attorneys, it's important not to judge, right, why yeah. they're getting divorced. Because right, right. then we would like, rack, you know, rack our heads on, well, why are you getting divorced? But I will be honest with you. I have been in court sometimes with my client um, and I've said to them, are you sure that you want to file for a divorce? Like, are you sure you want to go through this? Because I'll, I'll see the other spouse, right? right? And usually it's a type of spouse that's very, you know, agreeable is like, I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to hurt the children. And being a divorce attorney, I mean, we've seen it all, right? And so right. I, I've, I've told clients before, like, the grass is not greener on the other side. Because sometimes when you've been married 20, 25 years, you're like, you know, maybe I should take another shot at this, right? Yeah. And, and I've said that to them. And believe, believe it or not, couples have reconciled because I've said that to them and said, you know what, the person you're divorcing is not a bad person. And so maybe with some counseling, maybe reading some books, maybe take some separation, but start to date again. Because, you know, dating is really fun. Okay. Right. And so um, they have gotten back together. So um, and I don't know that most divorce attorneys, honestly, would give that type of advice, but I do believe in, like, I, I tell everyone, I'm a hopeful romantic myself, and I have a, you know, a great marriage myself, and so why not, right? If I could give that or impart that type of wisdom to a client and say, you know what, take another look at this, you know, type of thing, but to, to your point, it's, I don't know if it's superficial necessarily. I oh just think that like our parents age, you know, our, their generation, they, they had that commitment, whether there was love or money or whatever, whatever there was lacking, it didn't matter. They had that commitment. And now that commitment seems to not be there. No, I like that response. I like that. And one of the things that I like that you said was that, you know, you have a great marriage going on and you're imparting that wisdom on other people and other relationships and other marriages. And that, and that's great because that is showing that, you know, as you're leading by example and you're able to change these people's minds based on what you're seeing and what they're going through in a courtroom and in relationships. So before even getting to divorce, you know, what are some proactive activities to avoid some of these pitfalls that's leading into divorce. Right. So um, obviously having a psychology background, I believe in going to marriage counseling. I believe in individual counseling, which, you know, people don't emphasize that enough. But when you have people, two people that go into a marriage that have unhealed trauma, from their past or their childhood, you're gonna run into problems, right? Because sometimes people go into marriage thinking the other person is their savior. Well, right. those marriages never work. They just never work because you can't rely on another imperfect person to be the savior of the marriage, right? And right. so over time that builds resentment. So. Definitely the um, marriage counseling, individual um, counseling to work out your own issues and your own traumas is important. Um, really working as a team. I know that's what my husband and I do. We work as a team, right? So um, that's really important. Really, I think not becoming resentful. And that's just goes mm -hmm. through 
communication. Um, obviously, I have a communications background, so it's not hard for me to go to my husband or even to my friends and say, you know, I, I have a dispute with you. Like, how can we resolve this? Right. But right. a lot of people, they lack the ability to just communicate or they, you know, get defensive. And, you know, that never works in a relationship. So this is what I think. Marriage takes a lot of compromise, obviously trust and communication. Now, Matt, <laughs> I will agree that communication is one of the biggest things when it comes to the foundation of a relationship. And I actually, now I realized that my communication wasn't the best. Okay. And it took me years to understand how communication works and how effective communication is. And not only is communication about speaking, but it's also about listening and having that active listening engaged in a conversation, especially when you're talking to your spouse, because some things can be said or body language could be shown and it's not conveying accurately what you're trying to interpret or what they're trying to tell you. So you have to kind of interpret the conversation because their communication may not be the best. So sometimes it requires listening to what they're trying, what they're trying to say to make sure it's like, okay, they're saying, they're saying, they're trying to tell me this, but maybe I'm not grasping. Let me ask a few more questions. A good friend of mine had told me that he had to learn this, this one rule. And he was, and he was like, well, I have to listen for understanding. He was like, do you listen to understand? And I was like, listen to understand. It's like, no, I don't listen to understand. Like, why, why am I listening to understand? <laughs> but what is it like? Like we're communicating. He's like, no, you gotta, you gotta take your time, listen to understand before you respond. You gotta take in what they're saying, comprehend what they're saying before you, before you go ahead and respond to what they said, because as you stated, it becomes more defensive. And when we become defensive, you know, we lose the engagement of communication because we're now we get into a back and forth. Right. And I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're absolutely right. I'm listening. This is that. Yeah, this is wisdom. This is really true. Yeah. yeah. So it, it took me a long time to understand that when it comes to communicating, you know, we definitely have to work on ourselves to better communicate. We have to take in the lesson, the listening part. We have to take in the understanding part. We have to be able to com comprehend our partner before we engage in a conversation. And one thing that I like to do is even in my spare time, you know, I like to go to different seminars that talks about communication, that talks about relationships. I went to a seminar recently that was talking about communicate, communicating within a relationship and how to ask, um, to ask for a, a request, well, how to make a request versus making a complaint. So you turn your complaint into a request. So instead of walking to a person and saying, or walking to your spouse and telling them, hey, can you, you haven't did the dishes. Why aren't you doing the dishes? I need you to do the dishes. Put it in form of a request like, hey, can you go ahead and do the dishes for me on these particular days because I have X, Y, Z going on. And this kind of softens the blow of the conversation. This kind of softens the blow of the complaint because now is this is my request. This is the reason why I'm making this request and then further and go further on. So I do really think that communication plays a dramatic role when it comes to, uh, when it comes to be able to communicate with your partner. The other thing I would like to throw in there is trust. And I know a lot of people think trust and loyalty and communication, they're, they're all separate, but I believe that they're all the same because if I can communicate with you, then we should have a level of trust that goes along with it. And once trust is broken, then the communication is not there anymore because I can't no longer trust what you say. They can no longer trust what you're saying because now there's no trust. So the communication is gone. Yes, absolutely. So that, that, that's my thought on that. That is my perception of communication. And it took, it took me a long time just from my own personal experience. It took me a long time to understand that communication is, it's such a big part of a relationship. 
and without communication you lose a lot of the other pieces the other pieces of the relationship without yes. you know and part of communication too is knowing when not to speak right like that's really important i feel like even in my own relationship it's you know if your partner is tired if they're grumpy if they've had a hard day at work like when they walk through the door is not the best time to start communicating right and right. so knowing sometimes like i've had you know long days in court like i've been in trial for a couple of days and i'll come home and i'll say you know my husband will say something and i'll say can we just table this until tomorrow like i just i don't even have the words to communicate or think about this right now so but that to your point is part of communication because knowing when to speak and saying I just can't do it today. I'd have nothing to give to this um, conversation, but tomorrow we will we will address it and then really addressing it tomorrow, not just, you know, putting it under the rug, right? right. So absolutely, um, you know, and then obviously compromise, you know that. Um, compromise is so vitally important. Um, and it's just important to be respectful and compromise and know that, you're not going to get your own way. I mean, if, you know, for people that are extremely selfish, yes. marriage doesn't work, right? Because marriage is so much about compromise. And the funny thing about that, the funny thing about you mentioning a compromise is that we actually recently just did a show about uh, settling and compromising. And is compromising subjective? Is settling subjective? Just a whole narrative and idea of what is compromise and what is settling. And if you're compromising, if you're compromising too many of your ideals and morals to be in a relationship, then you're you're subjecting yourself to losing your identity, or supposedly losing your identity in a relationship. And it's different for everybody. Some people feel like overcompromise is good in a relationship because they're making strides or they're growing together. And yes. then some people may look at it and say, no, that's incorrect. Because if I'm making a compromise, I shouldn't compromise who I am in order to be in a relationship. I should be genuine. I should be authentic. I should be able to be myself. And it's kind of right. difficult. It's, it's, it's kind of a thin line um, of understanding that whether you're compromising or you're settling in a relationship because you could be settling for who a person may be versus, you know, compromising on certain aspects in order to have a healthy and growing relationship. Uh, right. But, but I don't know. <laughs> let me jump back <laughs> off to that, to that conversation. <laughs> that that was a long, long standing debate that we had on the last show. Uh, so my, my next question to you is what are some challenges that husbands and fathers face when going through divorce proceedings. Now, some of the things that I know is in Michigan, some of the guys that go, some of the fathers and the guys I know that has gone through um, divorce proceedings, you know, they, they've lost everything. You know, they lost their house, they lost their car, they find themselves, you know, living, living in their friend's basement, their mom's basement, their brother's basement. And I've heard all the stories and it's traumatic as it sounds because they were in love and it didn't work out for whatever the situation was and they lost everything. Now, how can they protect themselves, you know, from these challenges? Right. So, you know, I'm going to say something that, you know, a lot of people would not tell you. Okay. But we're going to be really frank, right? On this yeah. podcast. Um, so there really is a general bias against husbands and fathers in family court. There just is. Okay. And statistically fathers have to fight for custody and parenting time, whereas most mothers don't. Right. Um, and so husbands and fathers are less likely to receive alimony and child support. Um, that's also frowned upon when, when we hear that. Now, there are celebrity husbands, right, that receive alimony, but that's different. We're talking about, you know, people that are not celebrities. And so 
and the general public. And then like some states in Florida now have a presumption of 50-50 child custody. Um, so the laws are changing, but it's very slow moving as you know. So there is sort of this presumption now in certain states, we're in California, so we don't have that presumption, but um, we know that courts want to do 50-50 and that's what they claim, but whether they do it or not is a different discussion, right? So right. Um, now you're asking, you know, what, what can be done, right? What can be done for fathers and husbands? And really, um, as far as child support is concerned, not much, right? Because child support, there's a statewide child support guideline that courts go by. Um, and that takes into account the both parents' income and the timeshare that they have with their child. So that's there's not much wiggle room there and it cannot be avoided right oh. because it's the law um but alimony payments or sometimes referred to as spousal support that can be avoided or reduced in a prenup so that goes to you know you have a prenup that's signed um prior to marriage and now you're either limiting the spousal support or alimony, or you are just saying neither party gets alimony once the divorce happens, once the divorce is filed, if, if the divorce is ever filed, right? Prenups are sort of like insurance policies. And, um, you know, that's also debatable, right? A lot of people are um, either for prenups or they're vehemently against them. So you have to make a decision with the person that you're going to marry. Do I want a prenup? Should we have a prenup? Do I have assets, you know, enough assets that I want to protect them? Or is my spouse also going to be working? And so there isn't a situation where there's unequal um, income. So I shouldn't really worry about doing a prenup. Um, and different states have different laws as to what is a valid prenup. So you have to be really careful and make sure the state you're in, you check off all those boxes. Um, California has one of the most stringent um, prenup laws. Um, each party has to, for instance, each party has to have their own attorney. Um, it, the prenup cannot be signed um, seven days before the wedding. Um, there's just certain things that, you know, can't be, um, you know, there has to be no duress and, and things like that. So when we draft prenups and we do, um, do them in California, um, we're very careful. We have to have them videographed. We have to have a court reporter. We have a notary present. Like we want to make sure that the prenup is as ironclad as possible okay. because we don't want later on and remember couples can stay together for a long time and then divorce rears its ugly head so like you know 10 years 15 20 25 years you want to make sure that in 25 years your client isn't coming back and saying why did i sign this prenup or the other party saying now my spouse is trying to take me to court to you know uh, put away the prenup. So you have to be really careful. And a lot of attorneys, believe it or not, in California will not draft prenups. Really? Because, yeah, they, they don't want the, it's a really high legal responsibility to draft them. And, you know, their insurance, their malpractice insurance actually doesn't cover it. So a lot wow. of, yeah, so a lot of, um, you know, California lawyers will not draft prenups for that, that reason. That is interesting. I didn't know that. Yes. Is that only in California or? Well, I mean, I can only speak to California law, but some attorneys will review a prenup that has been drafted by someone else, but they won't actually draft the prenup themselves. I mean, that's how 
you know, attorneys are really careful, you know, about drafting the prenup. So I love this idea that, you know, especially on social media, we see, oh, you know, just get a prenup, just get a prenup. It's not always that easy and it's really expensive, right? So um, make sure you need, you you know, you really need a prenup. So um, it's not, it's not that simple to get, at least in California. Okay. Well, I know that in the event that I decide to get married, I'm definitely getting a prenup. <laughs> I, I don't have I don't have too much money to my name, but I've heard the horror stories, and I'm like, you know what, prenup. I, I okay. now, honestly, but you know, all jokes aside, I did see a statistic that basically stated that relationships that had prenups were less likely to end in divorce than those without a prenup. Yeah, and that would go ahead. Yeah, that would make sense, sure. Yeah, and and I and I started thinking about it and I was like, man, I was like, it makes it to me, it's like I would definitely would like to have a prenup in place because of whatever, you know, challenges that we may have going down the road and the other party does not want to wants to resolve them i i'll be honest i don't believe in divorce it's probably why i'm not married now because i don't because i don't believe in divorce because i want to make sure that if i'm going to marry i'm going to marry for the right reasons i don't want to marry just to be just so i can have somebody or just so you know i i just like this person and three months we're, we're walking down to get hitched and everything i don't want to do that I, I don't think that would be fair to myself or or them so what I've met people that are actually in disagreements with prenups. They believe that prenups, the stigma with prenups is that they feel like that you're already creating a situation where you believe that the relationship is going to end before it even starts. And I don't understand that. And I'll be honest, I was the same way. I thought about it like that. And I was like, you know what? I think, I think if I, if I sign a prenup, then basically I'm telling, I'm telling her that the relationship is going to end, you know, before it even begins, you know, you know, cause we signed this prenup, I can leave and I can leave with all the stuff I want. I'm like, well, you still got to go through the divorce proceeding. That's sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it's, it's long. Yes. So I don't think prenups are a bad idea. I think everybody should have the conversation of a prenup, especially when you have, um, you have properties or you have, you know, you have high incomes or, you know, in any situation that, as you stated, whatever the situation is, make sure that the situation is right for you to have a prenup. Yeah. Um, I, and I also, I do want to jump back to something that you had stated about, you know, when you're in a marriage, have that, you know, have a counselor. So I do believe in having, going to, um, going to a counselor prior to getting married. Um, and having those conversations and having those dialogues and addressing a lot of a, a lot of things that are normally not addressed <laughs> before you get married, you know, finances. If you if you have a blended family, how you plan on raising the kids, you know, some some conversations. Some people need a uh, a mediator to kind of be in the middle and kind of sort out some of those things. So, but but yes, yeah, I, I I do like that. Um, now, when it comes when it comes to that prenup, and the prenup helps avoid some of the pitfalls so far as alimony, but how much help does it do with child support? Because I know when you go through divorce proceedings, whether you're you know you're a husband or um, well, if you're a husband, you're going through the divorce proceedings, and you're like, well, I'm gonna be there for my kids, and we know that there's a, a calculation. Okay, so I guess one of my questions is 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 that calculation different from when you're married versus when you're just in a relationship? No. So the statewide child support guideline is the same, whether it's a paternity action when you're not married to, to the, to the parent, um, or when you get a divorce. So it's the same, right. you know, wh whether you're 
just a paternity action or a divorce proceeding. Um, and that, you know, in California, obviously that can't, child support can't be included in the prenup. It's against public policy. And so, yes, even if you had a prenup, you'd have to figure out what the income is to base child support on. So um, that, does, that doesn't help you in, in our state. Um, but you know what, I, I really, I think, you know, it's funny, like you and I have had a couple conversations and yeah. you are, you know, you've, you've, you've had your relationship, you have a child, um, you worked in the court system, you are about as educated as it comes to this topic. But I think what you're doing and what I'm trying to do as well is educate the public, right? Because they don't know, they don't have more experience. And so, you know, I think the conversation should be had, you know, would you, would you sign a prenup? You know, it doesn't mean that I, I, I'm forcing you to, it doesn't mean that if you don't sign it, I'm not marrying you, but at least let's have that conversation. And if the person you're having that conversation with is like vehemently against it, I want to know why, Why? you know, I want to know why, you know? And so that's what I, you know, that's because sometimes people come to us for a prenup and then they don't, they don't end up getting one right? Either it's too expensive or they changed their mind or, but it, at least you should be able to speak about it just like you should speak about everything, right? Like right. how are we going to raise our children? What are we going to do with the finances? Um, but as far as you're right, there is such a stigma on um, prenups, but I think with the newer generation and the millennials, I think they're they're going to want to have those conversations because they've seen their parents get divorced. Yes, yes. So they're becoming more educated about it. So um, I think that's at least a conversation to be had. You're absolutely right. I do think it's a conversation to be had before anybody decides to get married because the end result is that Everybody should walk away from the situation whole. I don't think anybody should walk away from the situation. I mean, you're, of course, you're going to have a broken heart. Of course, you know you, you want the relationship to work, but it doesn't. It doesn't always work that way. But in these situations, I don't believe that a family that's broken apart and one part of the family is doing better than the other side of the family. And you hear the horror stories over and over and over again. And you're definitely right. You know, we're in the business of educating the masses because going into the court system, from my experience, not knowing the law, not being able to communicate your ideas and intentions because you're a nervous wreck because you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you're it's almost like being on stage and you have to perform and you have to, you know, put out there what your intentions are and what you're trying to do, but you feel like the laws are against you and the laws are not against you. They're designed, they're designed to protect certain individuals in the situation, mainly the child. And that's that, and that's what it's for. And I want to kind of speak to a lot of the guys out there that are watching this podcast and let them know that one of the things you have to understand is the court system is a tool and to utilize it, because it's just a mediator. So you have to utilize it to your best benefit when you're going through the proceedings, whether you're going through a divorce proceeding or you're going through a family matter for your child, you have to be able to understand the situation that you're in. And laws are made to up, to be upheld in a fair manner. Now, it may not always seem that way, but these laws are in place and you have to educate yourself as best as possible when it comes to dealing with child support court or you're going through divorce proceedings, yes, it's great to have an attorney, but it's also to be ed- be well educated yourself about that same thing. And it's not easy. Um, I could be the one to tell you that it took me three to four years before I actually got custody of my son. And it was a long process. It was not, it was not short. I built my case and, you know, I never really publicized the things that I did until now 
and now my son is 17. So we're talking about, you know, 15, 16 years that I've had him in my custody and the things that he's doing now is amazing. And I'm very proud of him. And I'm very proud of, of what I did with him and uh, did with him and did for him. Um, I don't know if he would have had them same opportunities had the decision went the other way. But we're, but we're here now and, you know, I love to tell my story and I love to uh, make sure that other guys have that same information and can go forward and do the same thing. Like, it's, it's, it's so beautiful. Um, yeah, so but I'm gonna get off my soapbox. <laughs> you know, I'm getting off the soapbox. I'm getting a little passionate over here. <laughs> All right, so one of, one of the other things that I want to talk about, because we, we talk about divorce, we talk about the prenups, and we talk about all those type of situations, but one of the stats that did stick out to me was domestic abuse. And there are several types of abuse. We have did a podcast all about all the different types of abuse that are out there, but I know that, you know, one of the things that you do have that we, we've talked about um is narcissistic abuse and the trace of it so can you just kind of go over the the, the trace of a, nar a narcissistic abuse yeah so i mean there are different abuse obviously there's physical verbal um spiritual abuse you know through the through the church there are, are financial um types of abuse and then there's mental abuse I put narcissistic abuse in the bucket of mental abuse on the innocent child, uh, on the innocent spouse, sorry. And so a narcissist really lacks empathy um, by definition. Um, they're very manipulative. They're very, um, they gaslight uh, their spouse. Um, they're extremely selfish. Um, and as you can imagine, this type of spouse um is awful to live with right, right. um and you'll see um if you follow a lot of our um, social media accounts which i know that you do yeah we just plainly call them evil um and i know some people say well if they have a mental disorder um can they really help being evil and i'm like yes they can because actually um it's been found that people that have narcissistic um, your personality disorder, they know right from wrong. Right. So they know when to turn it on and they know when to turn it off. And so um, I'm obviously not a therapist myself. I don't have a PhD. Um, I can't diagnose someone obviously, mm -hmm. but I can see the signs. And um, we go out of our way as a law firm to vet our clients because Everybody that walks through the doors are not going to be somebody that we represent. I do, you know, a one hour consultation before I accept the client. Um, if I have questions, I might, you know, extend it another day and do like a two hour consultation. If they've previously had an attorney, I want to see all the paperwork that was filed before we accept the client. We want to make sure that we're on the right side of the law and we're not representing the narcissist because what happens with these people is if they don't get their way they will come after their their attorneys right wow. so we do a lot of vetting um ahead of time and so you know i i i sort of get a lot of flack from um these 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 types of you know, potential clients because they keep saying like, why won't you accept my case? Why won't you accept it? And to be honest, after 21 years of practice, I have to go with my gut feeling. Right. And so if I feel like you're, you, you're not about fairness and equity, and if you're trying to keep the child away from the other parent, or you're talking nonsense, or you're playing victim in a in a situation that you created, I can spot that fairly quickly. Um, and so these people tend to be very charming. So you know they do the love bombing in the beginning, and they're you know they're just so great in the beginning. They just give you that emotional high. But man, when they are done with you, they are so good at the discard. You know. Yeah. And that's like what you were speaking about, you know, some of these 
fathers that you've seen, um, you know, living in the basement, living on people's couches because they have been taken to the cleaners. I would challenge you to, to see who their spouse was because listen, we do mediations. We do collaborative law at our firm, right? Those are not the narcissistic spouses. Those are people that have just decided to separate for whatever reason, yeah. right? And they don't want, they, they actually care about the other parent. They actually care about the, their spouse. They're just saying like, this isn't right for me anymore. So um, you have to be really, really careful, even for us to not accept these types of clients. And I have this one um, video that I did for social media where I say, make sure you date someone at least four seasons before you marry them, which is mm. one year. Right. And actually what I wanted to say was make sure you date someone for at least three to five years before you marry them. And then I remember I was like, people, no one's going to listen to this advice. You know, they're just, they're, people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear like, you know, the, it's like, you know, the hopeless romantic, right? Yes. They, yes. They, that's, that's what gets people's like um, happy, happy hormones going. I just reduced it to four seasons, but um, really you have to get to know the person. And, and your point was great. You said, go to a therapist with your partner before you even get married. Like that is, yeah. I mean, imagine how many people would just walk away and say, you know what? I didn't know you had these five hidden issues, mm -hmm. <laughs> but for this, um, this therapy session or a couple therapy sessions. So, um, it's, it's difficult, you know, it's difficult. And then the one thing that most people don't talk about, and I just want to make sure that we talk about it, um, here is that these narcissists usually will get narcissistic attorneys. And so, yes, I just saw your eyes get really big. So what happens is I tell my clients, you're fighting the narcissist, right? In family court and divorce court. I'm fighting the attorney who's also narcissistic or has narcissistic traits. So it's like we're both battling, but different people. They're on their side and we're on our side. So it becomes, like you said, it, it takes months and months and sometimes years, obviously, to, to get the, the, the divorce done and, um, you know, finally have the paperwork signed and get the people divorced. Because as you know, narcissists, they won't sign anything you put in front of them. No. They don't agree. They'll go to mediation only to waste your time and use that as a stall tactic. And these types of divorces take two, three, five, and nine years. The longest I've seen is 12 years. What? For a divorce? Yes. 12 <sighs> years. And multiple attorneys, right? Because like multiple attorneys, because as soon as a narcissist doesn't like what they hear, they're on to the next attorney and then they're on to the next. So we have a case currently where they were married six months and uh, their divorce has taken two years and he's had seven attorneys. Jeez. And so, you know, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, my clients and I, you know, are just, we go to court, we just kind of like shake our head, like, there they are again. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Two years, seven attorneys, a six-month marriage. Yes. Wow. See, I don't want to go through that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to go through that. Well, and I kind of want to jump back to something that you said because I used to have this, this time frame that, you know, I would date a woman for a year and a half and then do like a year, year and a half engagement. So then that puts us like at right at three years 
of getting married. So, you know, you have a year and a half of planning and stuff like that, and you, you still get to know, you still get to build, then you can do the counseling during that time as well. So your three to five years actually makes sense. You know, for those that are getting married a year after a year, you know, within that two-year time frame, how much, how much of that person do you actually know? You, you haven't seen them. And Four Seasons is correct because people change throughout the year. You know, they may, depending on what they're going through, what they're going through with, on their job, you know, you haven't even lived with the person yet. So uh, just imagine now you're seven days with this individual 24 seven, and now you're seeing aspects of them that you are not aware of. Maybe it's a hygiene thing, you know, maybe it's eating habits, you know, maybe it's temper temperamental type of things, you know, attitude or however, whatever the case is, now you're, you're, you're starting to lean more into it. So I definitely believe that you have to take more time to understand somebody and then kind of do, and then marry them within an appropriate time frame. I know a lot of people don't want to wait five years to get married. I know you don't want to wait. You're like, oh, I want to, I want to get it now. I want to get it while I'm, I'm in that high, you know, that ro that romancing high. Uh, and it's, it's funny because I was talking to my sister. This is a little bit, this is a little bit all type, but it's kind of the same thing. I was talking to my sister and she was telling me about the new relationship that she was in. And she was talking about how, how the high, how the high of it was. And, and I was like, okay. And I'm like, 90 days, <laughs> 90 <laughs> days. <laughs> After 90 days, you're going to see what this person is all about. And you just give yourself right now, go along with it, but don't make any kind of drastic decisions or anything like you're just going through the high right now and you don't you really don't understand what this person is bringing to the table within the first year you don't and that's but for both sides for men and women you don't understand what is actually occurring in your circle you know once you especially when you're dealing with a blended family or they're meeting your family you're meeting their family you know those type of dynamics go hand in hand like i don't I can't really speak for anybody, but I just know that when it comes to family and friends, you don't want to lose family and friends over a relationship or trying to make a relationship work. Because once it falls apart, then you kind of going back to your family and friends like, yeah, that person wasn't the right one for me. Y'all tried to tell me and here I am again. So you definitely want to be mindful of giving your relationship time to grow, you know, plant those roots, let it grow, let it let it blossom like it's supposed to, like naturally, organically. There's no need to rush into a activity or to a marriage and you end up losing time, opportunity, and, and maybe opportunity for the right one to come in because you're trying to build and grow with somebody that doesn't necessarily want to build and grow with you. They right. might not want to take or it's just not a compatible fit. It's not that they don't want to build and grow with you. It just could be an, inca an incompatible fit as well. So. Um, so when you're, when we're talking about these narcissistic behaviors and their narcissistic attorneys <laughs> and everything, when it comes to dealing with these type of behaviors, what is, what is the major effect that it has on a relationship? Because this person operates without empathy. They gaslight, they do all these different activities, whether it's to make them feel good or to make them feel in control is what, you know, what I'm thinking. Um, it is, but when when people are in these relationships, you know, how can they, they deal with a person that have these type of behaviors? Well, you know how I said in the beginning, I'm a hope, hopeful romantic. Um, but when you're in these types of narcissistic, unhealthy, toxic, abusive relationships and marriages, you need to get out. I mean, you just need to get out, right? These types of relationships will not go the distance. They just will not go the distance. And so you have to make sure that you get out of those relationships. Now, you might need time to prepare to get out. Mm -hmm. um, we know um, we have clients where, you know, it's taken them years just to prepare to get out. And so we'll do like pre-divorce consultations with them what they need to be doing in preparation for their escape. I call it an escape because you don't actually leave a narcissist. You have to escape them. Um, you're sort of like a prisoner, right? So um, 
you get out of those relationships, get out of those marriages, um, because you're going to have to at some point. Right. Um, and then if you're divorcing them and you're in the middle of a divorce, you want to make sure that you're documenting everything, take videos, take pictures, um, keep a detailed journal of, you know, with your, with your child, like when they pick up your child, when they drop them off, make sure everything is journaled. Um, you want to make sure to get on a parenting app, which I believe every state has. Um, our state has Talking Parents or Our Family Wizard um, to make sure that all communication between you and the other spouse and your and your co-parent, your spouse, um, is on that app. Mm -hmm. um, and then the judge can obviously read that. You can print that out, present it presented as evidence. It's better than text messaging. Um, courts love these apps, by the way. And then the one thing that we tell our clients is you need to keep your side of the street clean, especially, mm -hmm. especially when you're divorcing a narcissist, because anything that you do, um, they will put a big spotlight on it and a magnifying glass on it. So you have to make sure to keep your side of the street clean um, because, you know, you're dealing with sort of, you know, a mentally ill person on the other end of the table. So they're going to lie about you anyway, but let's yes. not give them reason to lie. And then, you know, now we have to prove, you know, that, you're actually the innocent one. Like, no, we want to make mm -hmm. sure to keep your side of the street clean. Do not retaliate. I just say, stay away from them. Let me, let me be, you know, like you trusted me to be your attorney. Let me do all that. Let me take the shots from their attorney. You just keep your side of the street clean. You know, spend as much time with your child, document, journal, it's really vitally important because later on that'll become evidence for, for the court of law. Now that is, now that is some good advice. I didn't know that each state has a parenting app that you can utilize so you can document. Cause I know I've seen a lot of people use text messages in their court cases and not just um, family domestic, but also in civil cases to try to draw their point across or they'll use emails and say these are the correspondence that was going back and forth and to try to justify whether it was a breach of contract or something that wasn't fixed, you know, um, in any situation, real estate, or how the case is, they try to use these text messages or pictures of text messages in order to try to verify. But my question always with that was, is how can you verify something if somebody on the other side has to verify that it's their phone number? They can easily say, no, that's not my number. Right. You know, so what, what we suggest is take their name out and then just reveal what the number is. And then once they're on the stand, you can ask them, like, is this your number? You know, mm. and because a lot of people will put their name. And so, you know, they'll put like dad or, you know, co-parent or, or whatever, right? Or something derogatory, but just put the, you know, take the name out and then that way they'll see just the number. And then you can ask them, is this your number? And if they lie, then obviously you go get the phone records, you know, you go all that, that route too, right. uh, so, you know, the phone records, but, um, so that's just a, you know, just, you know, a couple of things that we tell our clients, especially with high conflict clients, you want to make sure that you document most important thing that your audience, um, should, should hear today is to document as much as possible in a high conflict, um, either parenting, um, case or a divorce case. And that is absolutely correct. My thing with even for my child support case that I had to go through, it was consistent documentation. It was consistent conversations. You know, writing down the schedule, when she picked them up, when she dropped them off, if she canceled this weekend, was she following the parenting order? Um, even before my son got into my custody, you know, there was a lot of things that was happening up into the courthouse, up into the court date. And, and, I'll, be, and I'll be quite honest with you, like, some it's not the court system that 
some people are going up against. Sometimes it is the ideals of the judge you're going in front of and how they interpret the law. And and that's why I try to, and that's why I'm, and that's what's most, most essential that people understand is the court is a tool, but the interpretation of the law comes from the person that's sitting on the bench. And what you bring to the table is not always, is going to hold as much weight as you think it will. So I tell, so, so one of the things I like to tell my audience is when you're building a case, you got to do it just like officers going to build a criminal case. They're going to ask all the questions. They're going to get all the documents in order. So when they go and file for a warrant, it's all right there. There's, there's no question is beyond a reasonable doubt and they're going to get their person man, woman, and different, they're going to get their person because they have piled, compiled enough evidence to send this person away for the crime that occurred. And I think that's how we should all approach our cases is that we need to build evidence, whether it is to support why we're trying to take custody of our child, support why we need to relieve a relationship, support why there's a certain level of abuse, just anything, anything when it comes to the court system, you definitely want to be able to build a case to allow yourself whatever, to allow yourself to have a reasonable doubt, without a reasonable doubt, to, uh, to justify why you need to do whatever you need to do. Um, that, that is a great point that you made there. Yeah, really early on in my career, I remember I was um, in judges' chambers, that's kind of like their office. And so I was discussing a case with the judge um, and opposing counsel was there too. And I remember the judge said this, he said, documents, um, he said, people lie, documents don't lie. So bring me the documentation for what you're saying. And so from there, and I was a really brand new attorney, um, you know, I think in my twenties, my late twenties, right? And I always just remember that, that this is how a judge thinks and it, exactly what you're saying, that's why, document everything okay yeah. because if you have the documentation and they don't guess what that's better for your case and so um document everything it's vitally important journal take pictures of your child you know if there's allegations of abuse take pictures of your child video video your child you know right. make sure your child doesn't have bruises you know when they when when you re, you know take the child to the other um, co-parent or we say parallel parent in high conflict cases, make sure the child doesn't have bruises. Like you might want to do all of that right initially. So it's vitally important to document again. And and I'm so glad that you were successful in your you know in your custody case. But I know it came with blood, sweat, and tears. And and yeah. it does sometimes. It does sometimes. Yeah, it, it it really does. Um, I I can't describe the feeling or the emotions from that time. Um, it's indescribable. You know, it's not what I did wasn't a win for me. You know, it was a win for my son. And one of the things I always tell people when they say, "Well, go put her on child support." It's not about just putting her on child support. It's about doing what's in the best interest of the child. And that doesn't mean crippling her income so she can't be an effective parent. That's unfair. I have no control of her being in his life. I have no control of the financial capabilities or, or abilities that she has, whether she goes off and be financially, um, uh, financially stable and grow. That's great. Is it going to come back to my son? I don't know. So, but, um, but that is a definitely another story for us for another time. <laughs> Attorney Jafari, I would like to thank you um, with deep appreciation for coming on to the show and having this conversation. I, I know my audience is going to love it. Um, is there anything else you would like to say before uh, we log out of here? Um, just, just to keep fighting. I mean, I think, um, you know, whether you're a mother or a father, just to keep fighting um, for the best interest of your child. Just like you said, it's not going to be easy. Um, every case is different. 
Um, sometimes you have a great mediated case, right? Where both people are taking the child into consideration, but just keep fighting. I, I know um, there's some father's groups that are like, they've given up, they've given up hope. Mm -hmm. And that's, those are the ones that really just tug at my heartstrings. Cause I'm like, you've got to fight. Um, yeah. And even more so in those cases, you know, and so your child, when they grow up, they will know who the problem parent is. I promise you that they will know who the problem parent is. And so you just need to be there and, and do what's in the best interest of your child. You're the parent. So, um, if there's anything I can do, you know, we're going to put our website, um, on this and our social media, if there's anything that I can do, um, definitely reach out to us. We're more than happy to help your audience and your listeners. And um, thank you for having me. This was a wonderful discussion. You know, we could talk for hours, you and I, yeah. um, but maybe we'll do this again. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. Well, this is from Mr. Nice Guy. I'm your host, MNG, our special guest, Attorney Jafari. I will see you in the next recording. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the video. Take care.